So, three preachers walk into a bar <laughs> and talk about heaven. So today we continue in our series called Ancient Faith. We are looking at the truths found uh, in the scriptures that are pointed to by the Apostles' Creed. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the last two lines of the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And uh, I thought what we would do today is uh, bring up Pastor Matt, who's one of our associate pastors. This is Pastor Matt right here. What up? Hello. And uh, this is Pastor Rick Eford, another one of our associate pastors. And my name is Caleb, and I'm also a pastor. And we are looking at... Um, <laughs> we're hey, looking at... You should, you should see how the sermon goes before you clap. We'll see. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to look at those, those last two lines and kind of think through uh, some of the things that we have found not only encouraging uh, and challenging, but also fascinating as we think about what it looks like uh, with those, those two words as we think about the, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And Christianity is unique in its view of the afterlife. And even that word afterlife is kind of, kind of uh, showing you a little bit of the cards there because uh, followers of Jesus believe there is not an afterlife, there's just life. And there's abundant life, but there's not you know, a life after this one that just keeps going. And so what we talk about, though, is physical and spiritual, and, and we'll engage in that a little bit. But uh, if you were to look at the other worldviews that are out there, the, the, the question of what happens next uh, ranges anywhere from your worm food, and so there's nothing, you, you just kind of live, and then your worm food, and so, you know, love one another. And then there's um, other views that the, the, the spirit departs from the body, and then you kind of live in eternity uh, floating around in some sort of, uh, you know, Star Trek type glowing orb uh, type existence, or maybe you're reincarnated, things like that. But Christianity is unique in that it, it holds two things together in tension. It holds together the body and the soul. It holds together the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And when we think about heaven, we are reminding ourselves as we uh, recite the creed together, we're reminding ourselves of some of those realities. And, uh, but in honor of Mother's Day, uh, I thought I might ask uh, this wonderful, illustrious panel, uh, what, uh, much of what we learn about uh, theology is at an early age, we learn it from our moms. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matt's, what, what, what did, what's one of the things that your mom taught you about whatever happens after you die. Yeah, so, so hell was a big topic. Hell was a big topic <laughs> in our household. You know, we, I came from like a fire and brimstone, you know, if you don't listen, you're going to hell type hey, yep. of uh, uh, background. <laughs> and, um, like eat your vegetables? Oh, yeah. Are you going to hell? Oh, yeah, straight up. No, no, no. <laughs> she, she wasn't that extreme. Promise, Mom, I love you. Um, but what, one of the big things besides hell, my mom was phenomenal at reminding us that we didn't own anything. And she would, you know, practically say, you know, you don't own nothing in this house. But also she would say that we were, 1 Peter chapter 2, we were pilgrims or sojourners passing through. And this is not our home, but there's something bigger, something greater um, that awaits us. So very early in life, we always had that um, this notion of already but not yet, that there's going to be a better place and it's going to be our home. Um, and as we follow Jesus, we're going to follow Jesus into heaven. So mm -hmm. that was um, a big thing. First Peter 2 was huge in our house. I know for me, I learned a lot from my mom. One of the things that I remember, and I, 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 it was you guys, some of you guys, the, now I lay me, 
down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, which was horrifying. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, like, hey, you know, yeah. what are you doing up there? Like, uh, you know, but I pray the Lord my soul uh, to take, and I, I learned, you know, there's, there's something after that, that though death is a, is a reality, that there is something outside of our physical existence that uh, and the, the Lord to take would be part of that. Yep. Rick, what about you? Well, we prayed that prayer too. Yeah. Um, but you know, that prompted a lot of theological discussions at a kid's age. And honestly, one of the things that I remember, and we talked about this the other day, is uh, my mom is one who really taught me much of the scripture from the beginning, from the time I was very young. Anytime I read that passage that Paul reminds Timothy, where he learned the holy yeah. scriptures, was from his mother and his grandmother. Mm. I resonate with that because I heard it. And she is really wise in taking biblical truth and saying it in a way that I as a child could understand. For instance, just to give me an example, uh, the genealogy in Genesis where it talks about the genealogy of people from Adam to Noah, there's a guy in there, his name is Enoch. And it just says we don't know very much about him other than he walked with God. He was a guy who was known to being a godly man, but he walked with God and was not. Well, how do you explain that to a kid? You know, well, my mom basically said something like this, you know, Enoch and God evidently were on a long walk, which they oftentimes did together. And, and at the end of the day, God just said to Enoch, said, you know what? We're closer to my home than we are yours, so why don't you just come home with me today? <laughs> See, Enoch is one of two people in Scripture that never suffered death. They went directly to heaven. They went directly, and I thought that was beautiful that she would do that. And so it encouraged, I, I can't remember a lot of conversations about heaven per se, mm -hmm. but a lot of the things that I learned from Scripture, places where she would told me about Jesus had a friend Lazarus, and Lazarus died. Right. Jesus did the funeral in John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And and in John chapter 14, Jesus was about to be crucified the next day. And he said to his disciples, he said, um, I go and prepare a place for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, you believe in me, believe also in God. And if I were going to prepare a place for you, why would I have told you I'd do that if I'm not going to come back and take you to be where I am? Mm -hmm. And that was one of the key things about heaven is that wherever heaven is, whatever it's like, it's with Jesus. And that was a key thing that I learned from her. And it made sense then when later on I looked at a passage like in 2 Corinthians 5 when it said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the key passage in, key passage in Revelations 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And that was one of the things that mom just impressed on me, is that wherever, whatever heaven's like, it's going to be with him, mm -hmm. it's going to be great thing. And I saw that lived out in her life. I also saw it lived out in my mother-in-law, uh, Emily's mom. Her name is Mildred. And, and uh, it's amazing how she lived to be present with Jesus now. But she looked forward to that day of being present with him forever. Mm -hmm. And um, in so many ways, uh, John Piper said this because I think she exemplifies this. He said in one of his books, he says, to glorify God is to be fully satisfied in Him. Hmm. 
that is to start eternity, that starts now. And that exemplified Mildred's life so much so that one of the events, I could spend a long time telling you about stories, and I appreciate you asking me to share some of these, but uh, there was a night, uh, she, was, she was a widow. She lived by herself for 22 years, and Jesus was really her companion. Jesus was really her husband. He was one she turned to over 22 years of time since her husband passed away. And there was one night there in East Tennessee where she lived that there was an earthquake. There's a fault that runs through that part of the, the Appalachian Mountains. And there's this earthquake, and she has a lot of clocks and stuff on the wall, like hangings and china, and it just rattled the whole house at 2 o'clock in the morning. She sat up straight out of bed, and honestly, this is her first thought and first words. Jesus, is that you? <laughs> what a precious thought, but it's so spoken. Well, that wasn't Jesus coming for her then, but 10 years ago, this year, 10 years ago, he did come for her. And in the days before uh, she passed away, she was you know, dealing with the last stages of mesothelioma and lung cancer, and just toward the end, it was a very tender time, and we're trying to encourage her, and Emily and I are there with her, and Emily's brother, Sam, and his wife, Ann, were there with her in the room, and just trying to tell her. And I said, Mildred, you know, who's coming for you. Well, understand at this point she was dealing with some dementia and she was dealing with some of the other late stages of all this and, and she says, who, who is that? And I don't know if she thought there was a doctor coming or family member or who, but she's, no, who is that? And I said, well, Mildred, you know it's Jesus. And she says, well, you all keep telling me that, but he hasn't come yet. <laughs> it was almost like she was impatient. Yeah. You know, with someone that she loved very much. Mm -hmm. And, of course, some of us wanted to caution her. This is not a time to get on the wrong side of Jesus, okay? <laughs> but she so looked forward to, and she lived in the presence wow. of Jesus. She experienced that in a very real way. So when that time came, she was ready and eager to be with him. Mm -hmm. And it can't cause me to but wonder for me, and for us, I want to put that to you, you know, are you experiencing the presence of Jesus today? And where is your hope? You know, we do a lot of funerals and counseling of people that are facing death. And I've heard this a lot whenever people face death, regardless of their faith basis, there's common phrases, well, he's in a better place, she's in a better place. Uh, they're with Jesus now. And honestly, I'm not so sure many of these folks understand the ground of that hope. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, the ground of that hope is what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. Someone believes in me will live even if he dies. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mm -hmm. Is that your hope? Yeah. And are you experiencing, as I ask myself the same question, am I experiencing the presence of Christ in a very real and palpable way today? That's the ground of the hope that I think. It's an extenuation. Right. It's a continuation of all that. And that's what I learned from my mother. That's good. Both. <laughs> Both of them. Yeah. Both that's the mothers. Good. Well, and even as we think about, you know, Mildred's hope and the hope that we have in Christ, we hope, hope to, like, what's that going to look like? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the creed does is it reminds us resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And this is something that oftentimes gets missed because usually you go to a funeral, person passes away, and you say, we say things like what? Like, they're in a better place. We say, they're with the Lord now. They're in a better place. And that, that's, that, yep. you know, that there's grounded in Scripture. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. But that's not the whole story. 
That's not the whole story. Okay, if you re- look throughout the whole of Scripture, you see that not only when we die that the soul is disembodied, but uh, there, there's a term that oftentimes will get used that, that's called an intermediate state between my soul departing from my body and the time that my soul and body are rejoined again in the resurrection of the body. And that's something that we've talked about. Matt, you were telling me about, in effect, first service, about something fascinating about Jesus' life that kind of keys off of that. Yeah, um, I, I love the fact that as soon as Jesus Christ resurrects, gets out of the grave, and he um, is you know, full of power, um, full of strength, shows himself to uh, the disciples, and eats fish, you know? Um, and I was joking about this earlier, but you know, we used to, there's a certain part in, in the more charismatic church where, you know, they, Jesus had a fish fry, you know, you know, after that, you know, <laughs> you know early, you know, so um, on Sunday morning, you know, Jesus got up, you know, and so it, I, I love that. Even as a kid, I love the fact that um, Jesus, not just that he likes to eat fish, because I like to eat fish, but the fact that we serve a very tangible um, faith, that it, it does require that we walk by faith, not by sight. But throughout scripture, it is impossible to ignore the physical nature um, of the God that we serve. And, you know, starts Genesis 2, 7, um, before sin um, enters the world, God chooses to put his hands um, in the ground and to make man, uses dirt to make man. That's huge. I mean, that, that'll blow your mind if you just think about Genesis 7. But then we fast forward to after Jesus Christ resurrects from the grave, he eats, um, he communes with the disciples. Um, Thomas, who's kind of late to the party, if any of you guys ever got late to the party, um, he comes late and he's like, you know, I'm not believing in this Jesus guy um, who, who I've been following. I'm not gonna believe unless I touch him. And Jesus doesn't smack him, which if it was my mother, she would have smacked me. But, but he says, literally, touch me. <laughs> you know, literally interact with me. Um, and he says, look at my hands, um, look at my side. And Thomas did. He touched Jesus, and then he begins to worship because he has this come to Jesus moment that <laughs> this is a real thing. He did exactly what he said he would do. And... Um, I'm sure with, with the passages that you're going to raise, we see all throughout Scripture that we're going to resurrect just like Christ did yeah. in, in a very real way. Yeah, in fact, if you guys have your Bibles uh, or if you have a phone, you can look up a Bible and go to Luke uh, 24. So this is Luke 24, verse uh, 42, or actually 41. Well, actually, we'll start in 40. How about that? <laughs> Luke 24, 40. So check this out, all right? And when, so this is after the resurrection, okay? And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. All right, TV time out. Hands and feet. What do, what do you need to have hands and feet? A body, right? You gotta have a body, right? So check this out, hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Food. Have you anything here to eat? You want some food, right? They gave him a piece of, not fried, but broiled fish. Should have been fried. Should have been fried. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Now, unless Jesus is trying to pull a fast one here, unless he's just acting, 
<laughs> which up until this point in time, I haven't known Jesus to be someone who's just doing something for show, then he really wanted to eat. And so check this out. Let's, uh, you can fast forward to Philippians 3, and I can read it to you if you don't. So this is Philippians 3, uh, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. So we're talking about us now. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Check it out. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus Christ will take our body, our lowly body, and transform it to be like what? A glowing orb? Some sort of polymorphous, ambiguous spirit being? No, to be like his body. Jesus in his resurrected body ate a fish. This leads me to my next point, which you're all thinking about lunch now, because Luke, or excuse me, Isaiah 25, verse 6, says this. On the mountain, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, so all nations. One of the things that you find consistently throughout the scriptures when it speaks of heaven and the eternal state, all nations are present, all right? So you have, uh, you have unity and diversity in the eternal state. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, that's all nations, all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine or IPA I have a little asterisk here, so that's just for me. Uh, I'm this, just a little comment. Uh, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined. And it'll talk, it goes on to talk about how he swallows up death. So check this out. How is heaven described? How does God showcase for us heaven? Number one, it's an eternity with him. But number two, it's a physical, physical thing. Mm -hmm. We too often are horrified of heaven because we think it's going to be so strange and so weird. You guys ever thought about that? Like, yeah. like one of the things uh, that people would say, which is horrifying, is like, well, heaven's just like an eternal church service. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I interject there? I That's think, horrifying. <laughs> I think for people to call heaven boring or for people to think that heaven is like this, I mean, you got to be a really cocky individual. you got to be a really like boastful, like big-headed individual. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means every single idea that you've ever come up with in your cool little brain, God's already thought of it. And so all these cool ideas that you feel like aren't gonna be in heaven, like just imagine that for a second, our little ant-sized brain and God's massive idea of what heaven is and what it will be. Like he's gonna blow our minds. Like I'm convinced that he's gonna blow our minds unless I have some terrible sense of reality and how cool I am, how creative I am. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on, on vacation, but there's some beautiful things that God has already created and you had nothing to do with it. And so, I mean, just throwing it out there. All right, that's, Sorry. Good. that's good. For all the boring people out there that feel like heaven's gonna be boring, I just wanna to speak to you for a second. So. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. What we're trying to do here is show you that it will not be boring, that it'll also be wonderfully creative. And so just some of the things that Matt talked about, I mean, you're talking about creativity, you're talking about exploration, you're talking about investigation, you're talking, I mean, all of the good things and the good characteristics that God, that God has put within us, those go on. Those, those don't, we don't just become like weird robots just kind of walking around like, praise him, praise him. Like it's, <laughs> there, there's creativity, there's exploration, there, there's wonder and awe. Uh, one of the things that we want to do is just encourage you to wonder. 
allow your imagination to soar as you think about what it is that comes next, I think. I think it makes sense because if, as it says in Genesis, we're creating the image of God, yeah. understand mm -hmm. that it's, that's fallen, it's tainted now. There's a veil. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see with a veil dimly, but then we will see perfectly. We will understand. I think it, it does stand to reason then that in eternity, right. that part of how we've been created by God as a creative being, a loving being, a caring being, the, the relational connection that's there, even to problem solving probably is going to be there to give us a, a way to work things out, to use the minds that he's given to us. I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think that that's, though it may not be said specifically here, I think that as we think about that, as we project that, it seems like that it's, it's greater. And, and the other thing is, even the best things that we experience today mm -hmm. that give us wonder and awe, you see the Grand Canyon, you see the constellations, you see all that stuff, where does it draw your attention? Back to him. Back to him. Has to. You know, or you see the birth of a child. And it's an amazing thing to say, I'm in such wonder and awe and amazement. But I think the very best thing you said in Isaiah, that we'd be eating these meals and drinking these drinks, the very best meal that we've ever had is like an appetizer for what is yet to come. The best beverage we've ever had is like an appetizer for something to come. The, the deepest relationship yeah. that we've ever had. And I think this whole thing with eternity, we talked about how, you know, when we're with our friends, it's a relational deal, people you love and you want to be with, and you're with them, and you look at your watch, oh my, I can't believe what time it is. Right. Like, this is just gone. Where did the time go? Right. I think all of those are some of the types of things we yeah. need to try to wrap our brains around. Has that ever happened to you guys, where you're, like, hanging out with friends, you're kind of completely engaged, and then someone, some jerk is like, hey, <laughs> it's 3 o'clock a.m., Right? Has that ever happened to you? Where you just you're com when you're when you are completely engaged, right? When your whole person is completely engaged in a positive way, doesn't it seem like time kind of it does still exist? There's sequence mm -hmm. of things, but it's almost like it doesn't matter. And in fact, we always say this is it's ending too soon. Where did the time go? I think you're right that that's a glimpse into uh, eternity. Yeah. And, and that whole new body thing too. Honestly, you guys are a little bit <laughs> not quite there yet. Okay. You never know. You never know. Uh, in that Second Corinthians 5, it says, you know, in this life, in this world, we live in a tent, yeah. which is a temporary dwelling, and we groan. Mm. Um, I, have a, I, I understand that better now than I used to. Mm. Yeah, especially the last couple of years. You know, it's always been, I used to just take stuff in stride. It's no big deal, and, you know, just move on. And I'm finding out, like, this tent starting to come apart at the seams, yeah. okay? And some of the joints begin to creak and they don't work as well as they used to mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And the vision is dimmer than it used to be and all that stuff. And I know some of you have much worse situations, but it's a reminder that this body is a truly a temporary dwelling place. And I don't want to live in this body forever. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that day. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready to go yet, okay? I'm not ready to move out of this shack. But God is preparing a better place for me. That's a, that's a promise. And it's a body that's not made with human hands. And it's, it says in, Re, in Revelation 21, there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. And that's good news. And I am thinking more about that, looking for that, and glad for it. Yeah, that's good. I love, I love um, what you just said, 
mentioning Revelation 21, and that text is tethered to um, the, the writer communicating to folks who have seen their friends. I mean, this is something mm-hmm. that, I've, that I've never gone through, but it's like basically somebody telling me to be encouraged um, in the midst of me seeing my friends being eaten alive by animals in a coliseum, um, in a big you know, amphitheater, um, seeing my friends like ripped apart and basically saying, um, be encouraged because this is not the end. Um, this is only the beginning. Like that's who, that's who this text is being spoken to. And the crazy thing is they believed it. Like they believed the word of God. They believed it. And that's what made them sing hymns as they're being martyred. Like as they're being murdered, they're singing unto God. Now, if that's not real, like I've never gone through anything like that. I mean, I've grown up in a, in a very terrible neighborhood um, with, with my blue-collar family, but, I mean, that's, that's, that's a long way away from the worst that I've seen. And they still have that sense of hope, yeah. that sense of awe and wonder that got them through the tough times. And if I can just push it a little bit, if there's somebody here who's going through a terrible time right now, whether it's depression, whether it's you know, whatever, whatever it is, just know that, that as Jesus followers, this is just the beginning. My dad, he's a preacher. He says it all the time. This is not a, a, a terminal or, or a terminus, but a terminal. This is not the end, but we're just, you know, passing through. So, yeah. That's good. And that's why it's important for us to, to think deeply about what's coming next. Uh, it does matter to us and it does impact us today. Uh, one of the things that as you think about uh, the, the resurrection of the body, the physical nature of resurrection, I want you to think about something because we, we said it a minute ago, right? You, you say absent from their body, present with the Lord, or that person died there in heaven now. And, and I want to try to tether these two things together real quick for you. So check this out. You guys ever heard of the Garden of Eden? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You guys heard of it? Yeah, you guys heard of it? Yep. Yeah, once, or twice. once or twice. I'm yeah. glad. <laughs> In the Garden of Eden, God creates out of nothing creation, and then he forms the garden as a, as a unique place, and then he creates people in, in physical form, right? And then he dwells with them, right? If you go back and read it, Genesis 1 through 3, he dwells with people, right? So at that moment, where is heaven? So usually we think, well, heaven is over there, and earth is down here, or heaven's kind of that place, but heaven is, by definition, where God chooses to dwell, and so when you have in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, it, 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 it pivots to something, it speaks to something, namely that there's a new heavens and a new earth right. and that God dwells with people in the material universe that has been restored, it's been, it's been made uh, whole, the broken has been fixed. Uh, and that we, it's, so check this out, I'll prove it to you. So in Genesis uh, 2, there's some uh, plant life <laughs> and some very particular ones, there's some trees you yep. guys have obviously heard of Eden. What was yep. the trees? Uh, there's the tree of, you guys can beat them to the punch, the tree of life, right? A life. tree of life, knowledge right? It brought of good life. And evil. Yeah, knowledge of good and evil was another one. Right. But the tree of life was the jam, yep. mm-hmm. right? And that was the one where you're like, if we have the tree of life, we exist everlastingly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, people sin, they rebel against God. God curses the earth. A serpent somewhere in there. Serpent somewhere in there. And... Uh, and then we don't have access to the tree of life anymore. Guess what tree you're never even going to guess. Guess what tree shows up in Revelation, which is at the uh, opposite end of the 
uh, our story. Right. Uh, in Revelation, you have Revelation 22, and then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and through the Lamb. And in the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. So you have the new heavens and the new earth. New heavens and new earth in physical form, right? Physical. You with me? And in that new earth, in the new Jerusalem, there is a what? Tree. A specific tree that we saw in Genesis, the tree of life. Apple tree. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Likely, it's a pomegranate, but... Right, tree of life, which speaks to the physicality of the eternal state. It speaks to the fact that you and I, we will not find all of these things to be foreign and confusing. We will find them to be home to its fullest extent. We, all of our, C.S. Lewis is this British author, and he talks about how all of our longings that are not satisfied in this, uh, in this moment, in this, in this life, so to speak, will ultimately be satisfied, that that eternity is more like home than everything you experience now. Therefore, it will not be strange, confusing, or foreign. It will be magnificent, wonderful, and familiar. And all that is broken is made whole again. Rick talked about the body. Right. And we talk about the things that are, I mean, you were saying something about the wrongs being undone. I mean, wasn't there a, something you were saying about that? Yeah, it's, it's more about the whole concept of what we view for the future affects where we are today. Yeah. Right. And how we make it through and how even when we go through suffering, mm -hmm. um, there is strength from the hope of the resurrection, mm -hmm. that that will be made right. And there are a couple of authors that, that uh, have written to this that I'd just like to read a quote for you. This is in Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, and he says this, the biblical view of things is resurrection, not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. That means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater because of the contrast that it opposes. C.S. Lewis, that you just quoted Caleb, said this too in his book, The Great Divorce, written in 1946. So they say of some, suff they say of some temporal suffering, quote, no future bliss can make up for it. When they say this, they don't recognize that heaven, once attained, will work backwards mm. and turn even that agony into a glory. Mm -hmm. And those are powerful words to live by, not just for eternity, but it's a future focus. Randy Alcorn wrote a book uh, entitled Heaven, which if you want to know more about heaven, get that book and read it. it. It's like answers a bazillion questions. It's great. And in the foreword to the book, or the preface, he, he makes this statement talking about it, how in 1952, the year in which I, my mother gave birth to me. So 1952, really? uh, Florence Chadwick was a young woman who was a great swimmer, and uh, she had already swum the English Channel twice. And so she was on Catalina Island, and she was going to swim to the California coastline, but the day that she went in, it was really foggy, so foggy they couldn't, she couldn't even see many of the boats that were accompanying mm. her. And she wanted to give up. It was after like 15 hours of swimming. And her mom was in the boat right beside her and encouraging her, you can do this, you can do this. But she couldn't see anything, and she finally gave up. When she got in the boat, then she realized she was only about a half a mile from the California coast. In a news conference the next day, she said this. She said, all I could see was the fog. Oh. All I could see was the fog. If I had seen the coast, I could have made it. Yeah. 
I think that's true for us as well, and that's what Randy is saying about his book. We lose sight of what's yet to come, so we don't live with the abundance and the fulfillment of life today. Mm -hmm. Because abundant life doesn't start in eternity. It starts now, if we will but appropriate it. Yeah, and it's interesting that the creed says the the life everlasting, and that Mm -hmm. language of life Mm -hmm. isn't just you know, the not death or just the continuation on it, it speaks to what Jesus will often talk about, the abundant life. Why I came that they might have life and life abundant. And as we think about these things, it's important to note because if you see the coastline, it, I mean, it matters to how you, how you operate today. I mean, some, some uh, would say that your next always impacts or shapes your now. What you believe is coming next will impact and shape your now. That's right. uh, your present reality is shaped how you respond to your present reality, how you deal with it, it's always shaped by what you think is coming next. And so my question to you would be, does your next shape your now? Are you living in hope of that reality, that, that future reality? And just a few things to kind of consider and to recap as we think through these things. Number one, the resurrection of the body is a physical resurrection, that it will be familiar to us, but it will be uh, made whole and made new. One of the things that Rick said, which I find fascinating, of Lewis's quote that heaven works backwards, Uh, you have this idea of restoration. Consider this. How will you remember painful things if there's no more crying, if there's no more misery, if there's no more pain and suffering? We're not told that our memories will be erased. So Miroslav Volf is a a theologian, and he was, um, I believe he's uh, Croatian, and during the conflict there in the 90s, he was tortured, and many of his family were raped and killed. And he, he, he writes in this book called The End of Memory, which I would highly recommend. He processes through this question, how, do, how will I remember my torturer? Mm-hmm. How will I remember the pain? Because it, doesn't, it, says, it never says my memory goes away, it's wiped clean, and it also says that I will not have mourning or pain or suffering. And so how, and he says, I'm going to be, Try to live my life now remembering rightly as he thinks back. And so how does the gospel form our memories? How does that, that thought process of things being made whole and made new, how will we be thinking? I mean, you, you get a glimpse of the restored uh, universe, restored existence in that. And that is our future for those of us who are in Christ. And so as you think about your next shaping your now, I want to read to you something that Rick uh, said at the beginning. So this is Jesus speaking. And, and regardless of where you're at, I would encourage you to hear these words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Many of us are experiencing trouble. Many of us are nervous. Many of us are upset. Many of us, like Jesus at Lazarus's tomb, which we talked about a little bit ago, are, are in turmoil or weeping or, 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 or just our guts are in just knots. And so Jesus says to you, let not your hearts be troubled. That's the now, right? Mm-hmm. You with me? That's the now, right now. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? The now is shaped by the next. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's the next. Does your next shape your now? Let not your hearts be troubled now. Why? 
because I am preparing a place for you. There is a next, and that next is the most delightful, satisfying, wonderful, peace-filled existence. His presence with the Lord, his presence with those whom we uh, adore, with the, the, the one whom we adore, is his creation as we begin to explore it even more and more than we are now, as we engage all of our faculties and time ceases to be a burden and something to fear and rather it just kind of ceases to be something we even pay attention to because our complete person is brought into activity as we love the Lord and worship him and as we exist without pain, without sorrow, without suffering, without tears. Friends, does your next impact and shape your now? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we know that you love us, and so we pray now, Lord, that you would uh, drive these words deeply into our uh, hearts, to our being, that your promises for what is next would shape and impact our now. Many of us in this church family, in this community, are experiencing pain and suffering, and our hearts are troubled, and Lord, we pray that you would bring this word to bear on our hearts, that you would be a bringer of comfort and peace, and that we would be a people that continually point to you and to your glory and to your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.